This episode is sponsored by the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network is the audio destination for business professionals who seek the best education and inspiration on how to grow a business. Whether you're looking for marketing, sales, service, or operational guidance, the HubSpot Podcast Network hosts have your back. Listen, learn, and grow with the HubSpot Podcast Network. Go to HubSpot.com slash podcast network. All right, everyone. This is Sam. I am sitting in a La Quinta Inn. If you're not American, that is like a budget motel type of place. I'm in the middle of Texas driving to New York City. It's close to 11 p.m. And you know what I did, or at least what I want to do after driving a few hours on my way to New York? I want to talk to you and I want to listen to one of my closest friends, Sean, interview my hero. So today's episode is with Scott Belsky. Scott is an acquaintance of mine and he invested in the hustle and I've looked up to him for years and I'll tell you why. First, his accomplishments. So Scott is the chief product officer at Adobe. If I had to bet one day he'll be CEO, maybe soon. But prior to that, he had this wonderful company called Behance. Behance, you go to it and designers can upload their portfolio it's awesome. If you're a designer, you definitely know what this is. If you're not a designer, go to Behance. You'll see it. It's a B-E-H-A-N-C-E. He sold that company for about $150 million. And when he sold it, it was mostly bootstrapped. He, he eventually uh, raised a little bit of money, like 6 or $7 million. But they raised that money like right before they sold. So they had built most of the business uh, without funding. And he funded the company by selling notebooks and speaking at conferences. It's a pretty amazing story. And also, he used to get traffic uh, at Behance. And he'll tell the story, I believe, from um, this company called Pinterest. And he was getting traffic from Pinterest. And he emailed the guy and goes, what the heck is this thing, Pinterest? And he talked to Ben, the founder. And they were just a small company at the time, I think a couple of folks working on it. And he eventually invested in that company, he invested $15,000 into that company. I think at the time they were worth something like three or $4 million. So if you do the math, I mean, that investment could be worth like 50 million bucks. That same week, Scott got, um, he had a friend who was buying his notebooks and he looked up who this guy was, was buying the notebooks and he, and he hollered at him and he worked at this company called Stumble Upon and his name was Garrett Camp. And Garrett goes, Hey, I'm working on this other startup would you want to invest in it? Uh, basically, it's going to like replace taxis. It's called Uber Cab. And Scott was like, well, I don't have too much money, but you've bought my notebooks. I kind of feel like I've got to support you. And I don't think this idea is that great, but I'll invest in it anyway. And he invested another $15,000. I believe that uh, round was valued the company at like $3.5 million. And so whatever the valuation of Uber is today, like $90 billion, $80 billion, I mean, that's worth like, I would imagine close to a hundred million dollars from that 15 K investment. Pretty amazing story. So he's incredibly accomplished, uh, as an entrepreneur and as an investor, but he's a product genius. I mean, this guy is amazing. I've only hung out with him a handful of times and he invested in my company, but I, I admire this guy so much because of the way he thinks about product, but then also his vibe, his energy. It's always calming to me. You know, he's very inspirational and he, he's got a wonderful outlook. And so what we're going to do is, uh, Sean's going to interview him 
he did this like uh, maybe 12 months ago. And I'm going to tell you some thoughts as Sean is interviewing him. And I'll uh, do some quick interruptions. So let's get to the episode. Hey, quick break to talk about our sponsor today. We're talking about HubSpot and their new AI-powered service hub. Okay, so what is service hub? Basically, every customer today wants to be talked to in a personalized way. And before, that required tons of human agents. But now, with AI, you could do that in a personalized way with fewer humans involved. And so you don't have to scale up your team in order to deliver personalized chat and service. So check out HubSpot's new service hub to use their AI tools to give better support to your customers. That's what they want and that's what they deserve. So visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn how this all new solution can help you deliver customer service with AI to your customers. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. Uh, I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back. But here's the amazing thing is that when you ship a number of features and then you start killing a few of them, what you find is that the core stuff gets used more. A lot of social consumer products, you know, ultimately engage someone based on something they're insecure about. Hey guys, Sean here. I got a different kind of episode for you that I think you'll like. And just to set the scene for you, so I'm recording this right now. It's Christmas Eve. We've got about an hour to go till Santa hits the chimneys. And this episode is going to be with Scott Belsky, probably one of the coolest people I met this year doing the podcast. And as I'm recording this, you know, I'm just supposed to do the intro and tell you what this is about, but I'm feeling a little reflective because it is the end of the year. I started this podcast about six months ago on a whim. I was bored. We were selling our company and uh, we were in the due diligence period and I was just getting itchy waiting for lawyers to finish doing what lawyers do. And I was like, I want to start something new. And so I knew I couldn't start a company, so I started a podcast. And I didn't know if anyone would listen. And amazingly... You know, I really thought nobody would listen to this thing. And now here we are, six months later, I'm looking at the dashboard right now, and there's 526,000 listeners, over half a million listeners already in just the last few months. And so uh, I never thought that that would happen. If you're listening to this right now, thank you. Uh, This has been a kind of an amazing new addition to my life. Hey, what's pretty funny is this, Pat, I mean, I'm recording this uh, at the end of June. I mean, we're in. We're, Sean was was given that speech. We were at like, well, I don't know, maybe sixty thousand downloads a month. Now we're at like eight hundred thousand downloads. So whatever he's saying, we had after like six months, we get we get that way over that per month now. So kind of funny how how he- hearing him say that. I started the podcast because I thought it would be a great excuse to hang out with interesting people. I don't drink coffee, no caffeine for me, never had the taste for it. So I didn't like inviting people out to coffee or trying to make up excuses to meet. And I thought the best excuse would be, hey, come on my show, come on my podcast. And for whatever reason, that kind of flattery works. So I wanted to invite people like Scott onto the podcast. And somebody like Scott's interesting because I start the show with this, which is he's done basically every job I've ever thought about doing. So he bootstrapped his own startup. He raised venture capital and tried to grow that way. He sold his company and then he became a tech executive. He's currently the chief product officer at Adobe, which is, you know, obviously Adobe's a massive company. So he's a, you know, he's been a founder, he's been a tech executive, he's been an author. He wrote a book called The Messy Middle, which is an awesome book about the process of creating stuff. 
Um, so, he, you know, he's a creative guy. He wrote a book. He's been an angel investor in companies like Uber or Pinterest, a.k.a., you know, two of the best angel investments of the decade. And then he was a VC with Benchmark, one of the top funds that exists. Um, so the guy basically has done everything. And what I was blown away with and what you'll get out of this conversation is he's just a good dude. He's a very down to earth, smart person who I think he says this somewhere in it, which is his goal wasn't to become any of those things. I, he didn't say, I want to be a tech executive. I want to be a founder. I want to be an investor. He was just curious and followed his curiosity and it kind of led him down those paths. And I thought, found that kind of inspiring. So, you know, as the new year hits, I'm thinking about all these different episodes we've done. I don't know, about 25 episodes, meeting all these great people and then even getting a chance to meet some of, you know, if we got half a million listeners, that's a cool number. But I've gotten to meet, you know, hundreds of you in person at one of the live shows or people who email me. And we're going to try to squeeze in a Q&A episode this week. So if you are listening to this and you're, you have a question that you wanted to ask, you know, it could be about business, it could be about investing, it could be about a podcast, whatever, I'll answer. Just shoot me an email. My email is just Puri, P-U-R-I dot Sean, S-H-A-A-N. So Puri dot Sean at gmail.com. So just shoot me an email. I'm going to do a Q&A episode. I already have like 20 questions or so, but, but send them in and I'll try to get through as many as I can. I hope you enjoy this episode. We're not going to do a super fancy intro. We're just going to go right in. And it's a little bit different. We recorded this thing at night. You know, I just didn't have the energy to do the whole, okay, let's start with your story from beginning to end. I just hopped around on whatever was interesting to me. And it made for a fun convo. Me and Scott, I consider us friends now after this because the conversation was that fun to be a part of. So it kind of hops around. It's a little bit of a different flavor. I hope you guys like it. And again, thanks so much for supporting the show. The podcast is already bigger than I ever dreamed it would be. And all that made me want to do was make, grow it even 10 times bigger. So that's what we'll be doing next year. Uh, all right, guys, enjoy the show. Oh my gosh, we've been, we're pumping this guy up so much. And we're both recording at night. So that says something. Let's go. Scott, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> so Scott Belsky. So I don't like doing intros because usually I butcher it when I do it. But <laughs> what I thought was interesting about having you was like, you've done the career path that's like everything I've thought of doing, you've actually already done. So it's like, you know, you've written a book, you bootstrapped a company, you raised venture capital, you sold the company, you've invested, you've been a tech executive at Adobe. So I'm like... All the potential career paths you've actually explored. And so I was like, okay. So a career identity crisis at all times. Yeah, either you <laughs> know exactly what you're doing or you have no clue what you're doing. Right. Fine line between the two, maybe. Right. <laughs> and currently, which one of those paths are you in at the moment? Yeah, I mean, listen, sometimes I think, what is my happiest state professionally? Actually, just generally. Okay. And I think it's the feeling of feeling fully utilized. And I think that personally, you know, I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm a friend. You know, you feel utilized in all those ways. Is, and then professionally, I feel fully utilized in a day like today, actually, where okay. I had meetings with product teams. I had meetings kind of leading change in a big organization, those types of meetings. I also had pitches, a couple pitches from companies that I might invest in. I also helped make a couple introductions to companies that I'm already investor in. Right. And I also even had a quick talk related to the book. And so I feel like every muscle was stretched in some way. Shape, That's or form. a day. Yeah. It's a day. <laughs> and so I think that I've always just tried to, you know, pull, pull threads curiosities and I do you know I you know for better or for worse I kind of am enjoying you know both ends of the spectrum these days yeah to give people a sense it's like 9 p.m on a <laughs> what is it 
Tuesday, Monday night. I don't know. T- right. Tuesday night, some some day. We squeeze it in. Uh, and I was telling you, I was like, I give you credit because I know it's easy when you're like two weeks out and you're like, sure, yeah, we'll make it work. <laughs> and then the day of, you're like, and you're like ninth Uber of the day, and you're like, what am I? Who who is this podcast? What I'm am I going to do? I'm yeah, feeling good, feeling good. But I yeah yeah give you props. <laughs> I, in fact, on the last episode, I I sort of put out one of my my life theories, which is eighty percent is just showing up, yeah. and most of the things that you don't want to show up for, if you just build that discipline to just show up, uh, good things happen. I agree with that. You just have to you just have to do it. Okay, so you've done a bunch of things. If I'm listening to this, I'm like, okay, why am I interested? So you've created Behance, which if you're a creative person, you know exactly what Behance is. But if you're not somebody who's a, maybe a designer or somebody in the creative world, what what was Behance? Yeah, so Behance was inspired by a bit of a sense of frustration with the creative world and just how disorganized it was. A lot of my friends in the creative community, architects, designers, people I knew from college, their careers were at the mercy of circumstance. And I felt like, you know, they felt like they never got attribution for their work. And I felt like they were not doing their the greatest they could be doing in their career as a result of that. And so Behance was an effort to organize the creative world. And people would always say, yeah, you know, good luck with that. Yeah. But the, um, the idea back in the day was, why are people having their portfolio sites sitting on some websites out in the ether, only visited by people who know them? Their work should also be broken out and searchable and sortable based on the client, the, the search term or whatever. And then through someone's work, you discover who that person is. Then you see their portfolio and then you see who they are. Yeah. And so it was inverting the model to some extent. And, uh, and it was a long slog. I mean, Behance was five years of bootstrapping, two years as a venture back business acquired by Adobe, three years of integration. It was an incredible journey. Partridge in a pear tree. Yeah. Right, right, right. Uh, we, <laughs> we kind of saw it all. But, uh, but it's, it's great. I mean, I love building products for creative people. I find that ultimately across all industries, creative people are the ones that really move things forward yeah. and they compel us to take action. They, you know, prompt emotion through media and through movies, whatever it is. So it's, it's just kind of a, an honor to, you know, build things for creative people has always right. been something that gets me going. Yeah. Somebody asked me, they're like, why do you like to do that? Why, why that? In traditional terms, I don't seem that creative. I'm not a designer. I'm not an artist of some kind, not making music. You know, anytime you're trying to make something new happen, you're being creative, you know, yeah. Fundamentally, you're problem solving something new. Sure. And I'm like, you know, it's really simple. Like, I like the new shit in the world. I get excited about new shit. And if you want new shit, you need people to be creative and you need creative people to have all the tools at their disposal to do yeah. what they do best. Well, I think it's, you know, creativity is genuine interest combined with initiative. You have like deep interest into something, it doesn't matter what it is to your point, but you also have the initiative to do something with it. And those are the folks that get fascinated by those edges that will someday become the centers. And, you know, that's what makes yeah. things work. And so normally on the pod, I'm like, okay, Behance, great. That's the mission. How did you think of the idea? How did you get your first 100 customers? Those are the normal ones. And so if you're here to listen to that, sorry, I'm not going to do it this time. No, no, no. Uh, there's people yeah. who have asked you those questions. I've seen those interviews. So actually, I don't know if it's because it's 9 p.m. I'm in the mood to just talk about other things. One of the things I want to talk about is you wrote this book, The Messy Middle, Yes, which is cool. I'll tell you the premise as I understand yeah, yeah, it. Sure. Premise as I understand it is 95% of the conversation is around the beginning and end of companies. I'm guilty of it myself, but you know, press and you know, the media is much more, you know, that's yeah. their bread and butter is yeah. like somebody's do- starting something. Somebody's ending something, either for failure or success. And so 95% of the talk or 99% of the talk is about 1% of the time that actually goes into any venture. And everybody just sort of fast forwards the the middle, the actual like sort of doing and navigating of the unknown. And so that's what the messy middle is about. It's about that middle section. I think Eric Reese has this good phrase where he's like, act one, we go into depth about the hero and how they came up with their idea. Act three, you know, the resolution. And act two is the montage, which is all the hard work. And it's just like all the training. You just just quickly fast forward through all of it so you can get to the good it's bit. not sexy, but it's kind of all that matters. And so why write the book? Well, I was fascinated 
surrounded by that big period of volatility that just seemed like an endless succession of lows and highs. I was interested in the idea that we're not our best selves at the lows or the highs. We're not our best selves at the lows because we make decisions out of fear. You know, at Behance, we saw new companies, new competitors emerge, and we made a lot of mistakes at times where we would suddenly try to emulate and then realize, wait, we just lost touch with what we really are and what we're good at. And then you're also not your best self at the highs because you falsely attribute the things that you did to the things that work. And so there's something to be learned at those moments. There's a practice to be developed in how you endure the lows and how you optimize like hell anything that works. Mm. And I just, that was what was interesting to me. And I wanted to interview and chronicle a lot of stories and insights from people that I've worked with, boards that I was on, entrepreneurs that I partnered with, and uh, and also things that I learned, you know, in my own experience. Um, and originally I kind of started this as a project for myself. And then I realized I had this Evernote notebook of like 680 or so insights. And I said, okay, like I'm going to pair this down and, uh, and ship it. So, <laughs> so that was the origin of the book. Cause, cause I was, I was thinking, I was like, why not a blog post, right? Like I read a yep. bunch of blog posts. Part, part of the reason why I wanted to have you on is your blog is actually really good. And you can shut, what's the domain? It's just like belsky.com, right? Thanks. This- yeah. I guess, you know, it's like on medium, but I don't know. You can get there through many different ways. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. It is a podcast that we want you to check out. It's called D2C Pod. It's hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolas. It is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And this is a podcast about all things direct-to-consumer, D2C. It's e-commerce stores. It's how you optimize your brand. And they're talking with founders, marketers, and the platform creators about all kinds of things that you need to know for D2C. You know, website conversion, paid ads, Facebook ads, consumer trends, email marketing, If you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives that I thought was pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to DTC Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so so I read a bunch of your things and you have these like almost like watercolor art like diagrams of stuff. So I've been reading these for a long time and I have a couple friends. So Sam from The Hustle, who you you invested in and uh, Greg, Greg Eisenberg, he says amazing things about you. So that's why I wanted to have you on, like your philosophies that I've read and then friends who vouch for you. And why not just like do a blog post? Why did it have to be a book? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question because a book is kind of stagnant. You can't really update it as easily. I think though that a book is a forcing function to distill it all down and also try to find the threads and then to packages a piece of art. Uh, one thing I did with this book is every insight has like a statement that is also like presented in sort of a designed section to give it some gravity. Gotcha. And like I what's felt, an example of one of those? Like an example is the science of business is scaling. The art of business is the things that don't scale. And then it's like, okay, what does that mean? Right. You unpack know? So, that. Yeah, unpack <laughs> that. And so that will be like a two or three page section right. about how we sort of perseverate over uh, all the, the science nuances. And actually our instinct is to not want to do anything in our businesses that doesn't scale because we feel like that's a waste of time when in fact a lot of the greatest examples of distinguishing a brand or a service um, are the things that don't scale like Airbnb sending out photographers for every apartment or I mean every company has their example of the things that they did that don't scale that ended up being the art and how do you also preserve that as you grow and how do you decide what your art is and so that's like an example of one of maybe 200 or so insights in the book gotcha and by the way I don't know if Sean clearly said this but Scott had just come out with a book at this time called The Messy Middle. So it's 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 awesome. I actually uh I bought it, I read it. It's pretty badass. All right, back to it. 
you write this book and I like it because there's some books where you can kind of tell the person who's writing this, like they're either, you know, nowadays not trying to make money off this, but they're trying to parlay this into speaking gigs or yeah. things like that. But like you already had your sort of success and win. So this, it, com- it feels like it comes from a different place. It comes from a place of like, I want to share wisdom or like first tap into the wisdom, the, the scattered wisdom you had in your Evernote files. Yeah. Like put it together for yourself and then like generously give. Is that like a... Yeah, it was weird. Accurate? It was actually, I remember the moment when I was kind of entering another one of those things I had observed over you know, a board meeting or something. And then I realized, gosh, like there are so many in here. And uh, I think it was on a plane. And I remember being like, gosh, if this plane goes down, like no one's ever going to see any of this stuff. It's only going to be for me. Right. And so that was one of those moments. I also, you know, I think there's a part of me that aspires to do more coaching and helping people build products. Right. And one of the things that I love doing and done a bit with Sam and also with Greg and others is help them develop their products and then build their product teams and hire the right designers and build right. a design culture. And, and I wanted to, uh, I, I did see this book as an opportunity to kind of help share some of the things I've learned, some of the things I'm thinking about and do more of that stuff. So right. it's in some ways like a cornerstone of that, of that intention I have for you know the next part of my life. And what's something that you commonly, so when you advise people to say on building products, making better products, uh, obviously as an entrepreneur, you'd always be better. You will never turn down the opportunity to make your product better. Sure. It is your, your <laughs> rock. What's some like common things you find yourself constantly advising people to do or, to, you know, questions you keep asking or advice you keep giving. Is there anything that's sort of a pattern you're noticing as you do this for different companies? I mean, there are a lot of them. I would say like two that come to mind. You know, one is obsessing over the first mile of the user's experience of the product, which ironically typically is the last mile that a team spends actually yep. thinking about. Um, and yet it's the only part of the product experience that every customer will in fact experience. Right. After that, it's just drop off. Right? And first mile, just so people yeah, know. Sorry. That's, so it's like the, literally the onboarding, the splash page onboarding, step by step, the, the, the questions you're asked before you get into the product, how quickly you actually realize any f- form of value in the product. Right. The defaults of the product, you know, does it show you everything at once or only a few things, the progressive disclosure of functionality, like all of these factors are things you must consider as you're nailing that first mile experience, which right. is in fact, probably what determines the fate of most products, frankly. Yes. Cause and, yeah. you know, you get 60 seconds or 90 seconds yeah. with the bulk of your cust- of your you do. potential and, customers. And I like to remind folks that every customer, as great as they may be, and as wonderful as your product may be, every customer is lazy, vain, and selfish in their first 15 to 30 seconds of using your product. Yep. How are you going to cater to them at that in that world before and I think the mistake we make is we have too we, we expect our customers to have too much faith in us you right. know, as product <laughs> builders um, they don't care in fact they shouldn't because their life is too busy right. and they shouldn't spend any amount of time energy or effort you know until they actually know that they're going to get value out of it right. and so that's the conundrum so that's like one example of something that you know I love working on with product teams another example is kind of un- unpacking the psychology of their customer a lot of social consumer products you know ultimately engage someone based on something they're insecure about, right? Something they want to have validated, something they want to learn or they're worried about. Or I mean, there's a lot of like under underlying nuances of a product that are really driven on psychology. Um, you know, I was talking to the, the team at Visco the other day and, you know, they decided not to aggregate the number of followers that you have visible to you, nor do they let you see how many likes something has. That's very counterintuitive to what we know about ego analytics and the things that drive social consumer product usage. But they had an insight, right? Which was the type of customer and how they wanted to use the product. That sort of thing is a very important thing to kind of distill and then make as a as a core principle. And so when you're investing in companies, I'm guessing you're looking for in that first couple, you know, first conversation with the entrepreneur, you're trying to figure out what insights do they have about the psychology of their customer. And also when you demo the product, how's this first mile experience? Those are probably two of the, you know, first tests <laughs> of your Yeah, investment. they are. And of course, you know, for consumer products and for enterprise products, there are different types of tests or different types of lenses you look at them through. But I think that those actually apply to both. You know, in enterprise, you realize that 
that everyone wants to look better in front of their boss. Everyone is, you know, sometimes even more lazy in terms of what they're willing to do. And so you have to build products and first mile experiences that take those things into account. So these are important things to, to think about as you're considering as an investor, if you're a product oriented investor like me. Right. And then what, what are some of the investments you made that you're proud of? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, my first ever investment was Pinterest. So I met Ben Silverman <laughs> back in 2010 yeah. and I had no business being an angel investor. I was right. just leading my own company, but I had met You ben. met him how? You just- I met him through, of all people, I think it was our intern. Um, <laughs> and he, you know, but, but Ben was coming through uh, New York to raise money because he had a hard time filling his round out here. And, um, and we both were building products that we were orienting towards designers to some degree. And a lot of the pins on Pinterest were driving to Behance pages. And I was seeing that although slow, but rapidly growing, you know, source of traffic. Right. Back then it was, of course, Google, but then Stumble upon and Tumblr and maybe a couple others. And uh, and then I just started working with him first as a product advisor. And then when he was raising the seed round, he was like, do you want to participate? And I was like, yikes. Um, okay. Right. So that was, you know, that was the first uh, foray. And it was amazing because um, it was just cool to see a product at that stage and to share some of what I learned, but also just engage in a lot of healthy debate. Right. And uh, so I think there, you know, there've been a bunch of, every product experience that I've had with the team has been remarkably different. I sat on the board of Sweetgreen for a few years, you know, a totally different right. world, right? <laughs> but then again, Sweetgreen's thinking about efficiency behind the counter and how to, you know, reduce operations time or preparing salads, the form factor of the actual bowls and how that increases efficiency and is better for the environment, the design of the space. And then the mobile experience, they, they had this ambition of having over 50% of all orders, you know, started on mobile, you know? And, and so I, I just, uh, I love getting a bit geeky yeah. with product problems and, you know, and, and helping solve them. Right. <laughs> That's amazing. So what fascinates me and gets me pumped up about Scott is his passion. So we just jumped from Behance, which is this thing for designers. Um, we went to Sweet Green, which is fancy, healthy salads. We did Pinterest, which is whatever you, however you describe Pinterest. I mean, he just jumps from thing to thing to thing. And so his tastes are eclectic. Like he likes all types of stuff. But it's all kind of boils down to this, like this passion about making widgets that just like we don't have to like pretend and act like pinterest is saving the world i mean maybe it is maybe it isn't it doesn't matter i mean it definitely isn't like we can say that safely but he cares about and is passionate about making it great and i admire that about him i know i get burnt out on stuff and i'm like oh everything's stupid this is so dumb this podcast it's so stupid this is meaningless i mean we all get that way right and I get pumped up hearing him about how passionate he is about this. It gets me excited. But then also, did you hear how, and, and I actually believe this to be true. When Ben asked him to invest, he goes, well, okay. And it was a small company and there was the first round of funding, but he defaulted to optimism. It's something that I uh, don't always do. Sometimes I'll default to, well, this won't work for this reason, this reason, and this reason. Scott didn't, d doesn't tend to do that. Um, I've talked to him. He, he, it seems like he doesn't do that. And I admire that. And I think that's a really, really good takeaway that you should all listen to in his voice is this, this, this optimism. Um, I, there, there's something about it. It's like, it's the American dream. I, I don't know what it is. I, it's one of the reasons why I love immigrants. It's one of the reasons why um, I like people who are down on their luck, but they 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 still get after it. It's just there's something here that that I find addicting and uh, invigorating. And and just listening to his voice and him describe these things, it gets me pumped. It gets me fired up.
Okay, so so you when you made that first angel investment in Pinterest, yeah, um, you don't have a budget for this. You're not like, okay, I'm I, I've made it because you're still doing Behance at the time. You had not exited, right. correct? Correct. And so you you said I'm in no position to do angel investing, but you did it anyways. What risk did you take there? So like when you put in whatever you put in, like what percent of your like net worth were you putting on the line at that time? Yeah, it was uh, it was probably <laughs> a good chunk of my salary. Um, and you know the one the other thing I did though to rationalize it for myself, I remember is. Um, ben had worked at Google. He had a network on the West Coast. I was this like, you know, new entrepreneur in New York that didn't have any of that network. I actually felt like I would learn a lot from this. And so right. in some ways I was like, well, you know, I'm sort of paying for an education, yeah. if nothing more. Uh, and it was, again, like I just knew so little about everything I do now back yeah. in 2000 and what is it? 2010. So it was uh, nine years ago. It was, if you have a real deep curiosity about something and then you find someone you really respect and you have a lot to learn from them, find a way to get closer to them. Find yep. a way to work with them. Just always leads to something and you may not accept what it is. Yeah, this is timely. So I uh, I just yesterday invested in a self-driving car company. Uh-huh. And my last sort of like, as I was going through the last checklist of like, okay, should I do this? You know, this is meaningful money to me. I'm not at the point where, you know, when I invest dollars in, I actually really want those dollars to come back. I'm not, this is not like the philanthropy angel investing that some people do. And so uh, my last thing was like, look, I'm going to learn so much about robotics, machine learning and self-driving cars. And I, I that's the future, whether it's this company or the next one. These guys are the future. Yeah. And this might just be my education. Uh, and, and worst case scenario, this is my education. And I started helping these guys, you know, last couple of days, try to get, you know, get their business off the ground. And already I feel like I'm get to live in the future yeah. a couple hours a week just by working with them. Do you guys want a funny update on that? I'm, <laughs> I'm almost positive uh, that company either has gone bankrupt or Sean has completely written it off. And I asked him if he should have done that. And this is funny. He's going to kill me for saying this. I, I, I think, uh, don't entirely quote me on this, but uh, I'm pretty sure he said that he regrets it because he wasn't entirely interested in, uh, or, you know, after learning a bit, he's like, ah, I don't actually don't know if I'm actually that interested in self-driving cars, but the guy who started it was pretty interesting. And, and I, I was cool taking that risk. But that was, in fact, his education. I, I don't think he regrets that investment but I think that uh, it's fun. It's just to give you that update, it went out of business, I think. It's like a, you know, it's a long-term view on the value of learning and relationships, but also for those that aren't ready to write a check to people. I mean, there's so many ways of getting closer to people that you admire and want to learn from and um, and keeping those relationships. I mean, I think platforms also like Twitter are amazing in that regard. There's some people that I somehow got connected to on Twitter that I've never even met in my real life right. who just reached out to me and just started to share like enough information and witty observations and feedback on something that I wrote right. that I just start to follow them. And then I follow them for a year and two years. <laughs> and then, you know, these are folks that I feel like, you know, him. this is how I met Scott, by the way, I followed him on Twitter. And uh, this is how I met Sean. I met Sean this way. Uh, I, I started emailing him and we got to know each other online, even though we lived a few miles away from each other. This is how I've gotten in touch with most of my friends. So what Scott's talking about, it works. This podcast is a result of it. The company that I started the hustle It happened because I took a course called The Copywriting Course by Neville Medora. I emailed him, became friends with him. He taught me about writing. I wanted to start a newsletter. So if you are sitting on your ass right now with nothing to do and you want more, uh, reach out to people. And in particular, start a Twitter and start tweeting and use that same picture on Twitter for the rest of your social profiles, including your email. 
people feel like they get to know you and get to know your picture because they see your content. They see you commenting on stuff. I recognize people who comment on my stuff. Sean has 150,000 followers, I think, on Twitter. He recognizes people who comment on his stuff. I'm telling you, it, 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 it works. It's, it's pretty amazing. I'm, I'm sitting in this hotel, like I said, in Texas. I'm driving to New York. I'm going to stay at a friend's house. Uh, I've become great friends with him. I consider him a family friend. We met on Twitter. I'm telling you, this works. Do it. Yeah. yeah and, and anything that they were probably doing next, I would probably be first in line to totally. help support or at least learn more about. Um, and so it's just enlightening that anyone can kind of through their own insights and just hard work and and, uh, and knowledge sharing, like, you know, sort of generosity in that sense, right. build relationships these days. I learned uh, this the hard way in the sense I, I host these like mastermind groups. Do you do anything like this, like a dinner series or anything like that with a, with a same with sort of a, the same set of people where you get together every two months or, or so where it's like your peers? Do you do? Yeah, only like this? informally. There's yeah. probably a group that I do that with, but tell me about a... So the regret was uh, I moved to San Francisco and I got invited to one of these and I was like, this is great. This is an awesome way to learn and meet people because the, the good thing is you're at a table with founders and uh, they're not selling because yep. it's like, you're not their employee, you're right. not their investor, you're not their customer. So they're actually telling you what's up with their company and you're sharing likewise. And so um, the first couple groups I was in, if I had just written checks to all of them blindly, I said, you know, like with no judgment, I'm just writing the same $10,000 check in all of you guys. You know, Calm was in that... Uh, in that yeah, crew. We would have paid uh, off, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. They would have paid it off. Clearbit was in that crew. Right. Uh, Product Hunt, uh, Zola Electric, which is the biggest solar company in Africa. Uh, like, so, so that portfolio would have done amazing. And so I look back and I was like, man, I did the first part right, which is what you're saying. You know, I just spent time with interesting people and added value to them through sharing ideas, insights, yeah. whatever, helping, being, being helpful. Yep. But then the lesson I learned was, why wasn't I investing? And I, to me, I, I kind of asked myself this and I thought, because um, I wasn't thinking of myself like an investor. Yeah. And so uh, then it happened again and I I saw this company called Lambda School that mm -hmm. I thought was going to be really big. It was really early on. And I started, you know, talking to Austin and uh, I was like, this time I'm not going to fuck this up. And <laughs> so I convinced my friend, I was like, I found a company that's amazing. If you invest, this is, I'm your scout here. Right. If I, inv if, if you invest, you know, give me 15% of your, your action right. and, um, and let's, let's do it. And yeah. so then that was like my first like deal deal where, that's great. Uh, you know, I was able to just put it in. And since then now, you know, once we sold, I got a little more money yeah. so I could do it myself. But the lesson I learned and what I would tell anybody who's listening to this is, uh, don't don't count yourself out as as a player in the game, either as a founder or investor. Yep. There is a way if you're willing yep. to be creative and helpful enough, I think. Yep. So that's no, my I, I soapbox agree. rant. I think that's one of the greatest cultural attributes of the ecosystem of kind of early stage founders is that we all know how much those circumstantial relationships matter and right. how much we learn from one another and how we actually can't do it alone. This podcast started from those dinners, by the way. Sean and I and a bunch of friends would meet. And he always had a bunch of groups, but we would meet and uh, explain what we were suffering from in our business, what we weren't suffering from. And then eventually we would just brainstorm. And that's kind of how this podcast started. And, uh, you know, that, that manifests itself in, in ways like what you're describing. Yeah. Did you invest in Uber? Is that right? Yeah, I did. So that was also kind of early on. Right. And the funny story there. So we were bootstrapping our business, uh, Behance early days yep. with uh, paper products of all things. We were making paper products for creatives to be organized. They were like serious actual paper. Action, and they're called action books. They're actually still out there. Okay. Yeah. And so, uh, so and, and one of our core partners uh, for Behance from a traffic perspective and partnership was, um, was StumbleUpon. Garrett had recently 
purchased StumbleUpon back from eBay. So right. he had sold it and then he bought it back. And so he was in my apartment, which was also my office back in the day <laughs> in New York. And we were kind of jamming on some product stuff. And he whipped out one of our action books that I'd given him previously and was like, hey, you know, check check this out. I'm like working on this side project. Um, <laughs> and then sketch. He, he literally me, invested in the sketch literally, of Uber. <laughs> literally showed me these sketches of this product where it's about summoning a black car as opposed to having to dial for it. Yeah. And um, and I'm like, dude, you should be focused on your business. You just bought it back. <laughs> right. And now I'm a founder CEO struggling. You're a founder CEO now right. struggling. Like you're thinking of making it. It's a distraction. Yeah. It's a basically <laughs> like that's a textbook distraction, right? <laughs> right. Uh, and so fortunately, he didn't take my right. advice. $60 billion <laughs> distraction. <laughs> and he said, you know, do you want to do you want to be involved? And I think I kind of was like, oh, I, don't, I don't know. But, right. um, but then I also became a product advisor uh, for, for him. And this nice. was actually even before Travis was in the picture. Ryan was involved. Yep. And then, of course, you know, that team got up and running. And so uh, I had uh, – he asked me if I wanted to invest. And I, again, was like, sure, but I very small check, right. uh, which is all I could do at the time. Right. And that was a journey as well. <laughs> <laughs> and so you're st- you do this uh, sort of startup product advisor. And because of that, you're at the table. And so when, when the time yeah. came, you, you, were, you were in I try to I try to fall in love with a product in a sense where it's still in my mind, you right. know, and I'm like thinking through the problems and you know, maybe, you know, what, what, what's wrong with the interface or how could the onboarding be better? So, so what's or, something in Uber that the product, a product change early on, like probably before any of us touched it that you remember? Was there anything like that? Where? I mean, I remember, I remember a debate with Garrett around the brand and um, this notion of should it be a it was Uber expensive, cab at the time, right? right, it was Uber cab at the time. Should it be an expensive feeling brand where it looks like it's aspirational, but something right. you couldn't afford? Or should it be a, an accessible brand where it feels like this is something that everyone should be doing? Right. And it was actually a really healthy argument because you intuitively think it should be accessible to everyone. I mean, if you right. want to make a big company. Um, but Garrett's view is that it should be something that feels like a superpower, like everyone's private driver. It should right. feel expensive, even though it was uh, intended to be accessible. And so that was part of the you know part of the thought behind the black kind of logo right. and and uh, the brand identity that like sort of suggested that that feeling, the luxury so, elite feel. Exactly. So I remember that debate, and I think that was also the right choice. That's amazing. <laughs> okay. And uh, what are you excited about nowadays? Like going either a space, a company, a yeah. problem that you think needs solving. What's got Scott interested? Well, I think I think there's um, I think there's there's a lot of different things that are interesting me at any point in time. I mean, I, in my day job, it's building products for creative people and kind of thinking about the future of not only the creative tools we know, but also things like augmented reality and and how we're going to actually infiltrate and build content in that new medium that would otherwise die if it wasn't enriched with like interactive, animated, hyper intelligent content. Mm-hmm. So it's thinking about that, working with a lot of our partners like Apple and others to help think through like how does that even happen. Right. It's been like a really fun thing for me by day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, by night, I mean, there's been a lot of really interesting enterprise companies that are thinking about the future of work. If you're in a big company, you know how hard it is for them to even think about a remote workforce and how to make that transition. Right. Even though a lot of us all know it's coming, what are the steps to get there? What kind of technologies need to come about? I, I also think that you know, social has been out of favor. Well, he called that one. Good job, Scott. Right. Which makes it interesting. Which means it's the, yeah. You know, when everyone says something is dead, it means that something's being born. Right. And now's the time. So I'm thinking a lot about consumer products that help people connect with one another in in, in new and, you know, privacy-driven premium ways. Gotcha. Okay. By the way, let's just, let's, we got to recap. He just said a lot in that sentence. So he talked about everything's dead. Or when people say things are dead, it's it, it's going to come back. What what are is that? I mean, a lot of people are saying uh, remote work is is taking over. Yeah, it, it is. Um, but what's the opposite of that? You know, going in person or 
I actually don't know what the opposite of that is, but that's like an interesting thing to think about. Um, uh, retail, we all, I mean, I, I would think retail is dead. I think the next like in-person retail, you know, brick and mortar stores. I, I, I thought the same too. I've been talking to a lot of my friends who are doing e-com. All their sales are down because people are getting out of the house and shopping. I would have said that retail is dead. I would have said like going to Macy's and all and uh, uh, going to Target, going to Walmart. Like why on earth would you do that? Why would you go to a store when you can just order it online? Now I get out of the house just to go because I'm I want to be around people. That's kind of interesting. Um, and so it, it, it's pretty wild. He, he he talked about the future work. I mean, the, this guy. It's so funny that we're we're only a a a few months, uh, 12 12, 18 months. This was pre-COVID. But uh, I think he actually predicted a lot here. And he also talked about privacy. I've been paying attention. I, I probably actually, not knowing it, started paying attention to it because I started listening to Scott. But a lot of my friends have started talking about that about 24 months ago. I think we are on the cusp of something big with privacy. We look at what Apple's doing. They're changing their how their ads work. Facebook changing how their ad works. Um, I have the latest iOS on my on my iPhone, and I have the latest operating system on my computer. They have things like um, different privacy features. They also have things that uh, ask you to, um, you know, your screen time limit. So if you hit a certain time, they say, "Are you sure you still want to use your screen?" I think that before we would have thought that's ridiculous. No one would ever uh, do that, but. I think that's going to be popular. So screen time, I think uh, normal average Joes are going to be weary of giving their data to big companies. I talked to the founder of Pandora about this. He said, you know, just your average dentist in Missouri who's playing Pandora is nervous about submitting to different privacy statements. And if you look at the traffic of DuckDuckGo, DuckDuckGo is this really, really cool uh, uh, Google alternative that tracks your privacy way differently. And, and it's way more um, concerned about people's privacy. Go to Google DuckDuckGo searches per month, and they actually reveal what their searches are per month. It's growing like a weed. This looks like a vert ramp. I mean, it is exponential as exponential can be. So I would highly recommend if you're, if you're looking for what's next in the next five or 10 years, I think we've just talked about a few things here. So let's get back into it. All right, everyone. This episode is brought to you by HubSpot's CRM platform. It's very simple. This is really easy stuff, but it sounds complicated. I'm going to break it down. It helps you make landing pages so you can align with key sales plays and even personalized content for a complete strategy. So basically, you want to sell something, you spin up this landing page, people come, they see it, it's customized to the person seeing it, boom, you get the sale. Number two, documents. You can use documents to manage a library of approved sales-enabled assets so your content will always be on brand. And three, quotes. Create a beautiful-looking quote or proposal in seconds. HubSpot's quoting capabilities also, also give you the option to collect e-signatures or receive payment via Stripe. Ooh, music to my ears, HubSpot. Learn more about how you can scale your company without scaling complexity using HubSpot.com. What's a day in the life? Is there a, a wake-up time, a morning routine that you like that, that kind of works for you? Uh, I mean, every day is different, right? But I, um, I'm trying to think of anything that would be useful and helpful. But I, I ultimately, normal is also useful and helpful know, because people are like, "Oh, there's no secret. He just wakes up and t you know eats his breakfast, ties his shoes, a little bit groggy, and right, gets right, out right. the door." Like that's okay too. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that I think that uh, I I I, I, so I do try to switch it up. You know, I'm actually not one of those people that has to like every day right. has to be the same and whatever else. But I do. I mean, I, there are a couple of things I do. Like I do try to audit my calendar in retrospect a little bit. A lot of people only look forward. Not many people look back. So you right. do a time audit. You you look. 
back at the last week or what do you do? I do. I typically look back at the last week and I typically ask myself, you know, how do I spend my time? It's actually a really interesting thing because you're typically at least ashamed of one day, if not more than one day. (laughs) And how you did it and you look at these blocks, you're like, what did I do during that period? Or why did I meet with that person for that long or whatever it is? Is this advancing, you know, what's most interesting and most important to me? Right. And that could be personal things and work things, right? But it's just this audit. And it's um, you know, it's prompted some difficult realizations. It's like, wow, like that was more important than, you know, seeing my family. Family time, yeah. Right. It's important. I saw a a version of this that I really liked. So there's a guy, uh, you probably know his name is Matt something. He's like the like coach, CEO coach to a bunch of CEOs Mm -hmm. in Silicon Valley. He just wrote a book called The Great CEO Within, I think Hmm. it's called. It just came out. And so Emmett, who's the CEO at Twitch, he I think he works with him. I might be getting all these details wrong. Name (laughs) wrong, book title wrong. Directionally. Yeah, something like this. Let's just wave our hands a little bit. So this guy works with a bunch of CEOs. And so he uh, he wrote this book and I saw his like, like you you had your 680 Evernote notes. So he had a bunch of Google Docs that were just like quick, you know, like principle after he worked with so many CEOs, he was noticing some things. He would just start writing them down. Mm. And he called this one the energy audit. And so it's the same thing you're talking about where you go back in your calendar, but he said, get two markers, right? Red and green or whatever. Mm. Red means this took this, this activity takes energy away from you. You mm. feel less energetic after you do it. Green means that activity gives you more energy, right? Like the yeah. gym is this weird thing where you would think you go to the gym, you put all this energy in and you exercise and that should deplete you. But actually you walk out and you feel more energy for the that's, rest of the day, true. right? So like there's these activities. So he said, just start highlighting and just huh. look at the col- step back and just look at the colors and then be like, okay, that's where you're at today. Let's try to move towards more green and uh, different things give you energy, like the sort of doing things that are in your zone of genius, yeah, right? Yeah. Things that you're good at, things you know that are important and you're, you can just get in flow and do them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really like that because it was, uh, it's one of those things, that you know, when the first time you do it, you're going to like, it's going to look bloody. It's going to be like, oh, this is not a, yeah. not a good use of time. I think that'd be interesting. I wonder, I feel for me as I have like a natural inner introvert tendency and they say that introverts get their energy from being alone. Right. Like, you know, <laughs> I wonder if I'd be skewed a little bit. All the like, non-meeting times exactly. are green. I'm like, oh, that was the best time. <laughs> But um, but I like that I like that idea because I mean listen there are meetings where you're like oh, right. you know and there are meetings where you leave with a lot that you're thinking about maybe that's another measure also is after you spend time with something or someone right. are you leaving thinking about things I mean that is a one of the things I have used over the years to determine uh, founders I want to work with as an investor is if I feel like every conversation with him or her was a step function more interesting than the one before it mm. or was it a repeat right. a lot of conversations <laughs> we have with people are repeats yes. Absolutely. It's like, oh, you know, Tyne and I talked about the same thing last time. Right. Every now and then you meet someone where you just pick up where you left off and it just gets like actually even, right. you know, better and better and richer and more dynamic and right. whatever else. I mean, that was like the story with Periscope when I met Kayvon and Joe and they were doing this thing called Bounty App at the time. But every conversation with them about what they were trying to build and whatever was was like infinitely more interesting. Right. And it was like, okay, we got to work together. And what you're saying is it's not just that their results were getting better every time because nobody does no. that, right? It uh, was the ideas, right? Yeah. It was the ideas and the, and the you know, the maybe also chemistry, like building upon an idea right. to make another idea, right? right? It's like, oh my gosh, it's sort of like seeing the world through someone else's eyes. Oh, it's like teleportation. Yeah. It's like, ooh, teleportation. Right. <laughs> like, what would I want to do? You know, maybe I'm bed at night going to bed and I just want to like drop into Tokyo and like walk around. It's like, oh yeah, like maybe you could do this. Oh, you could go and see a, a tennis match that's at Wimbledon when you're in New York. And, and then you suddenly like, oh wow, like what are, the, the media rights implications of that? And maybe there's a business model there. And right. just like thing, the thing, the thing, the thing, the thing. And it's like, okay, this feels good. Right. Yeah. I, I like that. I, I, 
have a similar thing where I call people Pokemon because it's like your know, Pokemon just sort of evolve. Right. It's like the next time you see them, oh, oh my god, this this whole person has evolved into a better person. Yeah, uh, and those are the most like fulfilling people I, to like spend time with. I like that. Yeah. Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here we go. New book. One thing I wanted to ask you because the way I look at it is this is a guy who's uh, achieved a lot of things that I'd, I'd like to achieve in my life. Right. So just sold our company, but uh, you know, I'd love to write a book. I'd love to to you know achieve success in in the next thing or invest in great companies. Um, so you're still setting goals for yourself. What's a goal you have set for yourself now? Like, what can you share? That's that's something you're like, all right, here's a goal I have for myself nowadays. Yeah. Well, I think that there, I think there's some ideas that I'm like brewing that I want to give some time to. Right. So um, I am trying to kind of sporadically schedule time to just think through these things. I actually love flights for that reason because I can give myself a chunk of hours that you'd ordinarily never get on the right. ground. Right. Uh, I think or just take a shower. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, just uninterrupted time. I mean, I, I do believe in this constantly connected world. The disconnection is a competitive advantage. Yes. Because you can actually think deeply about something as opposed to just constantly react and heck away at the collective inboxes around you. Right. Stay alive. Um, I, uh, yeah, I think that I also certainly have some goals for like the changes I'm trying to bring upon the teams, you know, mm-hmm. that I'm, that I'm leading now, you know, as this chief product officer role at Adobe. I mean, this is just a company that bought my company. A lot of my DNA is in this business. I care about where these products land and what, you know, and, and so I, I've set some like KPI driven even, yep. you know, goals around. And it's just, it's, it forces you to start making big swings and, uh, and think about like how you're going to uh, lead those changes and get people to to go along with it and you know it's, and then it's about narrative and merchandising right. and all these other things that it's it's fun you kind of have to build a internal marketing campaign at times just to get people to change their minds totally. so uh, so those are just a few examples okay <laughs> and and if you were 21 again today so I'll let you keep all the knowledge you have but you give me back sort of uh, all your all your assets your reputation nobody knows you you're 21 years old again uh, what do you think you do how do you think you would go about spending you know the next few years of your life well I would um, I would definitely start something again if I had um, really uh, a deep interest. I think I would probably aspire for more empathy for the customer suffering the problem as opposed to my passion for the solution. <laughs> I think a lot of the mistakes that I made early on was that were that I was always like super passionate about what I know needed to happen. And then we would realize eight months later, we were like 30 degrees off. Right. And you cherry pick evidence that might fit yeah, the need for that solution. Exactly. Because you're, you know, you get excited by a prototype and a vision and you want alignment. So you force alignment and then you realize, wait, had I just spent more hours next to a customer seeing what their actual life was like, what they actually thought of my product, I would have known better. Right. So I think those were some of those. There were, I think, a few lost years, as I like to call them in Behance in that five-year bootstrapping period, where we had to rebuild a lot of stuff. And I can't say I would do that all over again <laughs> you know, if I had the choice. Right. <laughs> Although I would say that it definitely built us as a team, like the culture. Right. And like, <laughs> we went through a lot together. Adversity will do that to you. <laughs> it, it did. Like what, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Like right. definitely true. Right. <laughs> uh, in a team struggling. Um, I think I would also try to do fewer things. I, you know, and I, I go back and forth on this. Yeah. I've heard two contradictory theses about, yeah. about like what makes a great entrepreneur. Okay. Either you are really, really great and willing to take risk or you're really good at hedging risk. It's like, wait, those are like, which the opposite, one is it? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, um, you know, I, I, I was always a hedger. Mm-hmm. You know, I always was thinking about the contingency plan and that caused me to do a number of weird things. Number one, it caused me to go to business school simultaneously as I was starting a business and gotcha. not drop out. I see. Little did I know that dropping out would be way better PR value than finishing. <laughs> right. No one gives a shit about an MBA, right? right? The second... <laughs> and so the other the other way if you had taken, uh, let's say, taken the risks, yeah. that would be what? Okay, so, so dropping out's one. Uh, what were some other ways that you were doing contingency plans? Does that mean like... Oh yeah, sorry. I was going to say like also like another example was the number of products we were building. Because you know, I was like, if this one doesn't work, then this one will work. Right. If, you know? And, um, and uh, even like features. Yep. It's like the insecurity of shipping many features in a product is basically... <laughs> 
basically, I don't know what's going to work. Right. But here's the amazing thing is that when you ship a number of features and then you start killing a few of them, what you find is that the core stuff gets used more right. and gets more attention from the team too. And it was one of those really strange realizations, I would say four years, three or four years into Behance, which is again, probably two years too late or too much later than it should have been, where we killed a few major features. We had this tip exchange thing where creatives could leave like tips for one another and build upon each other and vote them up and down. It was like a mini dig at the time, but right. within Behance, there was a groups functionality where people could share group. And then we killed both, like one after the other. And then suddenly people created more projects. Right, usage and they, goes up. <laughs> and they use and they use the, the core fee functionality more. And I just, again, wish I could have gone back and just really drove it down to like, what do we actually have to ship and how do we make sure it's right. amazing? And what space would be interesting to you? If you're 21, would you be like building tools for creatives or would you go into biohacking or, you know, like whatever? Like, because yeah. at that point you have a long time where you can ramp up or go into any space. You're not sort of committed. Sure. And I guess the question is if I was 21 today or if I was 21 back then, because back then I Tw think- 21 the, today. Yeah, 21 today, I would definitely be doing something different. First of all, I mean, we're still living in an app-driven world, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, apps were born in the world where there was no GPS, there were no notifications, there was no AI. And um, and so you had to download apps and then use them for things. Now, with an, a modern OS that should know where you are and what you're most likely to want to do based on where you are and when you're there and with whom you are with, the, the whole operating system, the whole notion should be completely different. There shouldn't even be apps, frankly. There should be superpowers that are suddenly there and then they're suddenly gone. Right. And <laughs> and if you think about, and I think that we're going towards that end. I think that we will see operating systems evolve. I think that the notification systems we know them today will be totally antiquated to this more you know actionable interface that just is always like the sixth sense, the appendage that we never know we needed. And I think about like what are the applications that are going to thrive in such a world. I also think about marketplaces that are more sustainable. You know, the, the, the modern notion that every freelancer marketplace essentially taxes the transaction is silly, right? right? Um, and that's actually the on-demand model for on-demand marketplaces. And it's all the same formula. Right. There's a totally different model that should exist. Maybe it's blockchain driven. Maybe right. there's you know, some other mechanic at play for value distribution. So there's a lot of these things that I think a bit about. Some of them overlap into my day job. Some of them I'm looking for companies and entrepreneurs that are tackling and sure. want to help them. What I like about your approach is that you didn't start with some idea like, oh, I want to build this or a generic space, but it was more like, oh, why are things the way they are? Wait, shouldn't they be different? Like you basically were like, <laughs> why are apps and notifications the way we use this phone now that we have XYZ? Or why do all marketplaces do this, you know, rent seeker model where they just, you know, sit in the middle and, and grab from every transaction? So it's funny, like one of the things I learned most working with the benchmark team for a little while was um, I really went in there thinking the greatest investors are like, really good at predicting the future. Mm -hmm. And what I left there believing is that the greatest investors have a really deep and concrete understanding of present and, um, and how the present is like about to change and if you can kind of but not you know distant distant long shots are fun bets but they're bets right, right? but if you really have a tune into the current dynamics and just how they're slightly shifting and start getting ahead of really interesting things I see and so you um, where do you like to learn from so like what do you listen to what podcast do you listen to what book do you read who do you think is really smart where if they're talking you're listening what, what, what do you like to feed your brain so before uh, I, I haven't commented in a second because I've been listening I love this guy um, when I raise a little bit of money from Tim Ferriss, Tim Tim is uh, the popular author investor. He told me, I actually asked him this question, and he told me the first. He goes, "There's two people who I listen to for investing advice. The first is Naval, the second is Scott Belsky. Whatever Scott Belsky says, uh, I I usually trust. He's my authoritative figure on investing. So this is a good question to ask. I think it's great. I'm I'm very eager to see hear who he says." Thank <laughs> you.
Yeah, no, it's something that, so I'll tell you, like my first answer is I have, I, I am a huge fan of Twitter. Twitter. I think that it is an incredible, it sounds like such a cliche answer, but I have <laughs> carefully curated a group of people. They are, they are astrophysicists, they are biologists, they are economists, they are political scientists, they are other entrepreneurs and designers right. and illustrators. These are the people who curate for me every day what's interesting to them. Mm. I just think that's freaking amazing. Right. You so, get to surf on top of that. It is. <laughs> it is. And so some people say, oh my gosh, you spend so much time on social media. Actually, it's just literally going through and reading. Yes. If you think about it, um, but, but but curated by other people. And that's how I learn about the books that I want to read. Right. And that's, so um, I mean, I love reading books uh, related to psychology and um, I, I love reading, uh, I'm starting to listen to a lot of history podcasts. So like some of those like Kings of Kings type podcasts, right. I think are super interesting because you're just learning about um, the, this notion of history rhyming. Like it's so true. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're learning about what happened in like Rome, you know, and you're like, oh my gosh, it's happening all over again now in America. Right. Um, there's just a lot of that. I, so I, I, but I, I try not to, uh, and I actually don't have like one field. I'm just like, I love reading just this genre or whatever. Right. And I don't read too many business books. Um, I, Why is that? Well, I find that most of them are a big book about a little idea, you know? That's <laughs> how I feel about most books. <laughs> it is, but you know, I, I think that, and I had an argument with my publisher about The Messy Middle because I came in with this like this this big book of like, you know, between 100, 200 insights that were completely disconnected from one another. Although there was some sort of read, but right. um, you know, and they were like, this is not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to write a <laughs> chapter book. And I was like, well, let's read chapter books. Right. Uh, you know, at least my audience, they're too busy. You know, they're starting <laughs> companies, they're changing companies. They just want actual insights that'll make them think about something differently. This is a funny insight. So one of my favorite books ever, I, I believe Paul Graham and his wife, Jessica, I forget her last name, Livingston, wrote it. It's called Founders at Work. And all it is, is interviews. And, and this was written I don't know, 05, maybe. It's in the early... It was before Twitter was around because they interview Ev Williams, the guy who started Twitter, and he was called the founder of Blogger, his old company. So whenever Twitter launched, it was before that. And it's like 18 or 20 or 30 interviews, and it's called Founders at Work, and they just just... at, they just ask questions. That's all it is. It's Jessica asking questions, and the the it's like this podcast basically. It's this podcast kind of in book form a little bit. It's awesome, and I agree with Scott here. I actually love these types of books. They aren't chapters. I can flip through, and they're just quick insights, um, like ten pages. I think you could actually build a book that's like founders at work or make a book founders at work, but then do like engineers at work. You could do designers at work. You can do, and all you do is release a series of books. You could do it every year, every two years, every three years. And it's just sold for $29 or whatever books cost $18. And you just do this over and over and over again. Almost like, uh, remember that, you know, those books like beekeeping for dummies, SEO for dummies, whatever for dummies. I think you could do the same thing. So if you're looking for an idea, I think you could do that. Right. And like where to go to learn more. Right. Turn the page and then like, you know, turn on your brain yeah. basically. That's at least what I want. Yeah. Great. All right. I know you got to help on a flight. So I check the <laughs> clock. Look at this. Perfectly oh, wow. on that. time. That's my awesome. podcaster hey, instincts. This is great. 10 p.m. flat. Yeah. This is fun. Uh, I hope you guys like this conversation. If you want to follow Scott, where should they follow you? Reach out to you. Hey, just um, Scott Belsky, at Scott Belsky, wherever, whenever. Right. Feel free to uh, connect. Great. Awesome. That's it. That's the podcast. That was a quick one. I think like, the introductions took up a lot of it, but Scott's amazing. I hopefully, uh, I hope you enjoyed this. I enjoyed just sitting here listening to it. Uh, it's cool, man. Uh, Scott, I mean, I just get fired up. I'm, I'm kind of a lost for words because I'm thinking about what Scott said. The guy's amazing. I, I love his attitude. Um, I'm going to keep doing these. This was uh, another uh, greatest hits app.
let me know how you uh, how you feel about these. The Sampar is my Twitter handle. I read all of them. And let me know what you think. I'm digging it. Um, I like doing them, and I hope you I hope you like listening to them. So let me know what you think. And by the way, um, it's now close to midnight over here. I'm staying up late doing this. I'm doing this all for you. And you know what I want? Just click that subscribe button on iTunes, that follow button on Spotify, and leave me a review. Leave us a review. I ch- we check them and we we iterate quickly in the podcast because we we review those all the time. So thank you. This is uh, Sam Parr calling you from like Waco, Texas or somewhere in a La Quinta Inn. Talk soon. Uh-huh. Yeah. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I can be what I want to. I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back. Life.